this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Friday, February 10th. 2023. How's everybody doing out there? I wanted to thank Jay Allen for having me on this morning on the dates. Created our safety show. We made an announcement that we're going to be at the International Conference on Climate Change in Orlando, Florida on Friday, February 24th. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting from there, uh, hopefully getting some interviews and everything that like we had planned with the organizers and uh, bringing you safety and now environmental stuff from a different point of view. So uh, I'm going to open up with uh, my disclaimer here that everybody is now we talk about news and views and a lot of stuff here right and i wanted to point out to everybody that everyone is innocent till proven guilty right we're using open source information uh, that we've vetted the best that we can so we believe that everything that we have is true you know uh here and uh any type of osha violations or fines or anything else uh just note that they are often uh, negotiated downward, uh, vacated, uh, litigated, and everything else. So what you hear is may not be the end of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. So, what is Safety Wars? What is it? What do we do here? Safety Wars is more than a podcast and live radio show. It's hosted by me, Jim Polzel, a certified safety professional with over 30 years of experience. We deliver relevant content, hopefully it's relevant to you, dealing with safety, current events, environmental issues, and how they relate to you and your family's safety. Whether it's at home, in your workplace, or in your schools, or in your community. We delve into behind-the-scenes information and inside information that other programs don't go, dare to go to. We, this is what we try to do. We try to offer an optimistic and hopeful view of the future that you will rarely find anywhere else. So uh, if you're listening to us live, you already know we're on Safety FM. Dot com from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we, if the program, if everything works right, right, some, earlier this week something didn't work right, we're going to uh, upload everything to uh, your favorite podcast platform. Now, uh, all of that's out of the way. We're going to uh, start off today uh, on a somber note. Uh, if you recall last year, February 10th, 2022, we had Imogene Salva on, and she wrote a book on her family's experience in uh, World War II, uh, where they were deported from Poland on February 10th, 1939. All right. Uh, now, how, how do I know that date so well is that my mother was deported from Poland, or as they say, expatriated. And when I did the program a year ago, it was actually on New Year's Eve uh, 2021. I'm, I'm sorry, 2020. Yeah, 2021, December 30, 2021. Uh, little did we know, a couple of weeks later, we would have the Russian uh, military invading uh, uh, Ukraine, they invaded in 2014, I believe it was, uh, the Crimea uh, Peninsula, and now they're uh, invading further. And lo and behold, uh, there are accusations of the same type of expatriation of Ukrainian citizens and into the same region where Imogene Salva's uh, family went to. And they lost a couple of people along the way. My family was... Uh, uh, lost about 12 people in the Soviet-slash-Russian concentration camps. Uh, they called them re-education camps uh, to try to get the Polish out of them, 
basically, and re-educate them. So I'm going to be reposting that program on my social media accounts, and you could go to uh, safetywords.com and uh, look at, uh, no, I have links to all my social media uh, accounts on there and also the podcast. So I will be reposting all of those on social media. Uh, check it out from last year. And we are going to uh, right now have a moment of silence for the 200,000 plus people that died in uh, during World War II in the camps. And we're going to uh, play the Polish national anthem. Right now, at the end of the anthem, we'll have our regular program. Okay, and uh, thank you for allowing me to share that with you. And we're on to our regular program here. A lot went on today. A lot of excitement out there. We had uh, another balloon fly over Alaska. This one reportedly, according to all news accounts and press releases, it was... uh, at 40,000 feet rather than 60 so or 70,000 feet like the other balloon, and it posed a hazard to navigation. And, uh, uh, oh, and it was shot down over Alaska. Uh, something, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what to think about. I'm just going to report it. I'm just going to report it. There's really nothing for me to comment on. Uh, we... Uh, there's someone's got a lot of explaining to do here, uh, as Ricky Ricardo used to say, or did he say explaining to do? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I just hope that we could work things out and work out our differences here without any bloodshed. Going on, and I, you gotta love Singapore here. They have, know what their OSHA is called? The Ministry of Ma- Manpower. Mama. Right? A heightened safety period imposed on companies here has been extended by three months to curb a concerning rise in workplace deaths. The Ministry of Manpower. Mom. Said on Friday. This safety period, which kicked in on September 1st, 2022, has been extended till May 31st, 2023, with additional measures in place. It was initially due to end on February 28th. Breaches of workplace safety and health laws that could result in death or serious injury will now come with higher penalties and a maximum fine of $50,000, up from $20,000 previously. Other additional measures include a mandatory half-day training course for the chief executive or board of directors of companies that are found with significant health and safety lapses following serious or fatal workplace accidents. This is a strength in ownership and accountability among senior company leadership. Wow. Earthquake. Uh, this is still, uh, we're looking at uh, the earthquake still in Syria. Uh, one of my coworkers had a uh, 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 friend of a, fa- uh, fr- a family member of a friend uh, over here in Turkey uh, killed. Uh, what, what this is, he's expecting a lot more. The death toll is somewhere, and this is Friday, February 10th at 8.09 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, this death toll is expected to rise a lot uh, here. Uh, we take no glee in this. We want, no, I hope uh, aid gets to as many people as possible here. Uh, but uh, right now there's... Uh, uh, people are pissed over there because of uh, they did not have the resiliency to go and uh, combat this, no, to respond to this emergency uh, over there. So 
I don't know. Well, I will uh, keep on hoping and praying and uh, helping out when we can. Uh, just I wanted to remind everybody to please, if you're going to donate to a charity, please make sure it's a legitimate charity. Uh, they were taking donations today at work uh, for this. And, uh, you know, at one of my, the projects I manage, they were uh, taking uh, uh, taking uh, donations. All right. I was told not to say, use the stammering, right? But I got like three things going on. I got it. This is all being recorded via video and audio and everything else here. Uh, we're probably going to go to and we're looking to set up uh, simulcasting on Twitch and some other things. I'm getting used to looking at the camera here uh, for this whole broadcast. So uh, bear with me. Uh, consumer advocates say Valentine's Day candies may have fallen diff- fallen victim to the deceptive deceptive practice of slack filling those heart-shaped boxes have lots of love but very little chocolate this is from the washington post and it's a clutch decision you buy your sweetie a valentine's day box you know the one red shiny cardboard heart-shaped fancy looking and boasting an assortment of milk and dark chocolates one is made by russell stover the other one the other classic whitman sampler which are owned by the same company it sets you back about seven ninety nine, and oh, and you know you buy it at your local uh, pharmacy. So you go and you open it up, and guess what? You're expecting, hey, all these chocolates, and guess what? It's all molded plastic inserts. So basically, they're charging you the same or more and giving you less. Why shouldn't? No, it's happening with everything else. Why shouldn't it happen with chocolates? You know, I don't know. Again, remember that is on Tuesday. Make sure you, uh, you know, I think make sure you get there, get something this weekend, take her out this weekend. If you can't do it on Tuesday, that's what we're most likely doing. Uh, I'm not telling you what we're doing. Let it be a secret to my wife. A surprise. Okay. We are all right. The death of another Filipino worker overseas has shocked the Philippines. Every year, millions of Filipinos leave their homeland to work overseas, sending billions of dollars back home. The death of an over female overseas Filipino worker has shaken the country to its core. So every year, uh, basically last week on a busy street, a dense, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And what exactly happened? 35-year-old uh, Jubilee Ranana, Ranara was working as a domestic worker in Kuwait when her charred body was found last month discarded in the desert. Uh, basically, the uh, victim, a mother or two, was pregnant at the time of her death. And the teenage son of her employer has been arrested as a subject and an investigation is ongoing. The Kuwaiti government has condemned the crime while the Philippine government has vowed to get to the bottom of it. And uh, basically, this is a big deal. As we recall, there were all different types of reports uh, during the World Cup last year of uh, fatalities in, uh, in relation to the construction of the Uh, stadiums and other facilities for the World Cup. Uh, I have a feeling that this is going to be an ongoing issue with foreign workers, especially in the Middle East. I mean, I remember in the oil industry uh, days where we were, when I worked there, we had a lot of people from uh, uh, that worked in that area. And I, I mean, I hear horror stories. Uh, there was a uh, just absolute horror story. So the, the big one is, that the oil tanks have to be cleaned out over there. So what do they do? They get migrant women, uh, similar to this uh, victim here, and they bring them in there. They just give them mops and buckets to clean out oil tanks. No PPE, no shoes, no nothing. And they're in there cleaning things out days and days and days. 
And we're in this country, what would it be? It would be a permit-required confined space. You'd have a vacuum truck, things of that nature. And I have a tendency to believe that it's the way it was years ago and for foreign workers there uh, because uh, a couple of years ago, you, I was watching a show on a bridge build and a very reputable company in this country, extremely reputable company, if I mentioned it, you would know what it is, uh, they had a, a fatality on a bridge build. And sure enough, they said, well, everybody has to wear harnesses on this bridge build. And this was what part of the documentary. And, you know, it was one of these you know, miraculous builds sort of shows that were popular in the late 2000s. And sure enough, everybody was wearing harnesses. They weren't wearing lanyards. But they weren't. Well, they were wearing harnesses uh, all on video and everything else. Incredible. And the ones who were tied off were tied off with a uh, uh, rope well, that had, is rated for 800 pounds, tensile strength. If you recall, uh, it's got to be 5,000 pounds in the United States. I'm sure Europe has a very similar standard, except it's in kilograms. But anyway, uh, I think this is uh, slowly but surely the safety movement is spreading worldwide with uh, this stuff uh, moving at a glacial pace. And this is a story from the Department of Labor uh, what, uh, press release. Massachusetts serial violator, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, faces $137,000 in new penalties for again exposing employees to life-threatening falls. Four months after citing a Quincy roofing and construction contractor with a long history of exposing its employees to dangerous fall hazards and who reneged on a 2017 federal settlement agreement. Not a very good idea there. Inspectors within OSHA discovered the employer again knowingly exposed workers to serious injuries. On December 8, 2022, OSHA conducted a monitoring inspection at a company work site in Quincy to check if the company was complying with fall protection and other workplace safety standards. Instead, inspectors observed employees exposed to falls up to 18 feet as they removed shingles from an unprotected two-story roof. So there were citations here issued, and, the, and let's see, I'm going to click on the report. Now, uh, here they are. Let's see, they're always the same, right? Always the same. Do, do, do. And here we go. Citation one, item one, type of violation, willful serious, 1926, 501B13. No fall protection. All right. They're lucky this is not after March 30th. We'll see how the new way of doing things is going to impact some of these uh, fines that are issued or proposed fines. Okay, uh, this was a repeat violation, but uh, and they deemed uh, a willful serious, and going and they have an ex rather extensive uh, documentation on previous uh, citations issued, and what does it come down to? Thirty four thousand three hundred seventy seven bucks. Citation one, item two, willful serious. And it was the employer does not ensure that anchorage used for the attachment for parasol fall rest equipment was not capable of, of, of supporting at least 5,000 pounds per employee attacher design installed and used as follows. Uh, as part of a complete fall, personal fall rest system, which maintains a safety factor of at least two and under the supervision of a qualified person. So we all know in construction, you have competent persons, right? And I believe it's 1926-32, which requires uh, inspections by a competent person uh, on, as part of construction. But you also have a qualified person. What is a qualified person? And that is someone who has either through professional standing or education is able to design things, basically. That's not an exact thing, right? But that's good enough for our discussion here. So again, they were up uh, approximately 18 feet, uh, right? 
uh, above ground. Uh, roof anchors were not installed over the peak of the roof, were not fastened securely to a structural member on the roof, were not installed with the correct fasteners, and were 14 fasteners short of a minimum, minimum number of fasteners for the fall protection training provided by the company. And it goes on a long history of citations here for that. So how much was that? $34,377. Why not the maximum? Probably because it's a small company. And we have an, uh, citation one, item number three, serious. No inspection of the fall arrest systems. So let's talk about this. Let's say that you are a competent person. You have to uh, have uh, uh, prove that you're inspecting things. All right, so maybe they had fall protection equipment out there, but guess what? Wasn't inspected. It looked it looked like Wuvna was ripped, torn, uh, uh, damaged. Otherwise, UV damage. I mean, uh, a lot of these companies, right? Friday afternoon comes, and what do they do with the fall protection equipment that they're relying on? They take it and throw it on the ground. Yes. Yeah, it happens. They take the equipment and they throw it on the ground. And what happens when they throw it on the ground? They leave it outside all weekend long. And what does the biggest damage to fall protection equipment? It is ultraviolet damage, usually. And that's assuming you don't have paint. You don't use it with painting. You don't use it uh, with welding and get weld spatter, burns, or any other deterioration. But you need to show some type of inspection records. What do I recommend? At least once a month, right, by a competent person, which is an exceedance of uh, all of the other standards there uh, out there. Uh, once a month, competent person and a pre-use inspection. When I use, I was uh, hired years ago, uh, my company, I should say, to do fall protection equipment inspections once a month on behalf of the of competent persons because they could not rely on their competent persons to do inspections. What do you need with that? You need some type of written documentation for the uh, inspection because if it's not in writing, it never happened. I hate to tell you that, folks, but that's just the way it is. Um, and we have one, another one. Uh, that was $34,000. I think it would have been cheaper just to do the inspections. Now, when I say in writing, that doesn't mean that you cannot have it, some type of an app, and there are apps out there that track that. Uh, type of violation, citation one, item four, willful, serious. The employer does not assure that each employee exposed to fall hazards is trained by a competent person qualified in the areas specified in the regulation. Okay, no training. How what basically how much time do you normally get? That was another $34,377 thing and that was willful meaning that and they were told about this multiple times. What uh so you're out on a site, right? And you're having an, uh, you're having new employees come in, a contractor come in. I recommend, and I no, I this goes either way on this. I've heard attorneys say, "Don't do this." Believe it or not, I, no, don't do this. I always ask, unless the client tells me not to do it. Training records. Are you trained in fall protection? Are you trained in? Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, you have a 30 hour outreach card, 10 hour outreach card. Are you trained in permit required confined spaces? Whatever is appropriate for that job. And I, and the other thing is, is that I get the company to commit to who the confident person is, because guess what? Who do they try to pawn that off on that, uh, responsibility? Any guess? Anyone want to take any guesses or venture a guess? Yeah, you got it. The lowly health and safety professional. That's who they uh, go and uh, pawn out off that responsibility to. Now, what? No. And this is why. And I think uh, Sheldon Primus will, would uh, agree to this. You have to get all this stuff ahead of time in writing in the contract. 
who, what are your responsibilities? Even if you're a regular employee, you have to define where your responsibilities start and when they stop. So when I, uh, no, I have certain phraseology I use. Do I have the authority to hire, fire, or discipline anyone? Number one, I get that in writing. And you have to get that because this is what happens, right? There's a problem. It could be a fatality, injury, catastrophic release, regulatory oversight. doesn't matter. Who has the authority to do, to do this? And, or why didn't the safety professional do X, Y, and Z? Well, guess what? I don't have the authority to do this, and I have it in writing. Who has the authority? Well, their designated competent person has the authority to do it. Their management has the authority to do that. Right? And let's say you're an employee. That's a really, th really thing. Do I have the authority to hire, fire, or discipline anyone? Yes or no? No? Okay. When I have it, please get back to me. This way you're off the hook, at least personally and professionally. They don't want to enforce the rules. They don't want to enforce the rules. They don't want to do uh, follow the system in place. You, they don't, you know, what, what are you going to do? Right, it's gotten me, uh, no, uh, pisses a lot of people off. I'm not going to lie to you uh, where you have, well, why am I paying you to uh, do safety? Well, told your guys to do X, Y, and Z. We had them do X, Y, and Z. Guess what? Didn't do it to let you know about it. Well, why didn't you throw them off? You don't, you didn't give me the authority to throw anybody off. You didn't give me any authority. You, I said, there's such pushback on all of the safety stuff because you know, you've never had a safety professional on a project. That's what we're going through right now on two of the projects at here at JCP technical, uh, where, uh, they both, uh, uh, we're dealing with contractors uh, were working for the general contractor and the other contractors had never had a health and safety professional on a job ever. So, you know, it's what it is. This is what the, no, and I know we're all hot people. We're not about beating up the employee. We're not about all that. So we understand all that, but you have to meet people where they are. So, you know, it's along the lines of this, right? Uh, you're doing an ad, no, a lot of these sites, right? Have rules. You're going to wear a hard hat. Let's talk about PPE. And we realize that PPE is the last thing that you want to rely on to separate you from the hazard. So what are the rules? Hard hats, safety glasses, safety toed shoes, uh, hearing protection when appropriate, and appropriate gloves if needed. And you know, you have everything else. You got You got the picture. Well, what happens? You have people out there that don't want to wear safety glasses. Okay. Can you put on your safety glasses, please? All right. They, Oh, well, I, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Look, it's not personal. Look, this is what the rules are. You went through site specific training. You went through the job hazard analysis together with me we all got together we all wrote this stuff out your company submitted it. it's in your safety plan for your company please come on usually right and 10 years ago i would have been given the uh a display of the new jersey state bird on there uh and they would have uh uh you know that's it i'm not doing it blah, blah. even you know 30 years ago forget about it you wouldn't have no, how dare you ask me to put on safety glasses? I got that reason uh, recently also. Uh, and it goes with that. Well, guess what happens? You get the whoever's paying for this stuff, and especially if it's a, an agency of the government, you're working on a municipal job or city job or state or federal job. Guess what? There's an oversight person that's going to come out there and who's going to go. Or if you're in the oil industry, they have plenty of oversight people. They're, hey, well, guess what? The safety professional is not doing their job because no one's wearing safety glasses. Well, guess what? If you have it in writing, you don't have the authority to hire, fire, or discipline anyone. Guess what? Now you're in a situation where you're somewhat off the hook. And I don't know. I'm not saying shift the blame, but shift the blame. Well, you know, the person who's in charge of them, the confident person, the foreman, is not enforcing safety rules. 
he's the one or she's the one most that, that's their direct supervisor has no commitment to safety. What am I supposed to do? Explain to me. Well, you have to convince them, Jim. Okay. Do I, again, do I have the authority to hire, fire, discipline people, pay people, control pay or anything like that? No. Okay. What am I supposed to do? Right. Well, the people who do have that authority don't care about it. And this is where it goes into. You have to target people in the C-suite. You no, you, you have a, a construction job, a large one, a thousand people. You're not going to be running around with your head cut off. Right. You're not going to be effective with that. So what do you need to do? You need to go and target the people that are in charge. The C-suite people, the people on site. Look, this is what it is. Can you please manage this? Now, there's another approach, too. It's called leadership. All right? We teach leadership here. We encourage leadership here. We have a whole leadership program. We've had, maybe I'll do that one day next week with leadership. All right, where you have to go out and you try to be the leader here. The person of influence. And there are ways of doing that, even if you don't have the authority or anything to do it. But guess what do you, what do you need? You need time. You need to develop relationships with people. You have to show that you're interested in them and be genuinely interested in them and their safety, their well-being. You're going to then get much better compliance than going out and, you know, Slamming them all the time, slamming them all the time. That's not going to be, that's not effective. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's constantly slamming them. But if you could go with this thing where you try to, hey, talk to the foreman, talk to the supervisors, talk to the C-suite people, talk to whatever to try to get them, get the, you know, the people on a construction job to do what they need to do. Or even if you're in a general industry situation, Right? Again, it's it's a hard place to be in. Now, I've also have walked uh, from contracts, right? And, uh, and I say, look, this is just not working out. And there's always an out on the contract. People are not obeying. There's no uh, safety culture here. People are not obeying the rules. Uh, people are not doing the job hazard analysis, not following the system, the contractor, the company, the foreman. Nobody wants to do anything. And guess what? You're, you know, you're just a safety professional. What are you supposed to do? Guess what? At that point, uh, at that point, uh, you have you have to make a decision. Do you walk or not? It's one of those things. So. Uh, kind of, no, you got, got to do what you need to do. Florida, New York, right? This is in Florida, New York. Yes, we do have a Florida, New York. I remember a couple years ago, I told my son, we're going to play baseball in Florida. And he's thinking Florida where Jay Allen lives. He says, are we going to see Jay Allen? I said, no, I don't think so. And where do I take him to a baseball game in Florida, New York? He was not happy. So three construction firms in Florida were cited by the Occupational Safety and Health uh, Administration with the death this past summer of a 31-year-old worker. We had talked about this here, and OSHA had uh, the story that we had uh, was uh, from uh, Nanuet, right? uh, a company right here, right down the street from me. Uh, basically uh, fined last year $1.3 million and this year $687,000. Those are proposed and those are all being litigated. Over here in uh, Florida, New York, we had a couple of other contractors here that were uh, cited recently. And what was it for? It was for uh, they had job-made or specialty-made equipment on site for rigging and guess what happened they did not go and uh they did not go they did not go we have an issue with a cat here uh they did not go and proof test any of their rigging equipment 
All right. That's a, that's a major uh, thing here. So I'm not a crane expert by any uh, means, but any of your rigging that you're going to use, and companies do make customized rigging. All that stuff has to be proof tested, has to be designed by a qualified individual, and some type of an engineering stamp has to go on that, cut sheet, something, right? So one of the biggest things, especially I see in construction, is that they make a hook from a rebar, uh, from a rebar, uh, it's a rebar, reinforcing bar for concrete. Because you have rebar vendors on site, now people make an S hook out of it and use it for rigging and everything else. Some of those things, I tell you what, probably strongest stuff around. But guess what? You need someone to go and sign off on that. You cannot just go and say, well, we're going to go and make this at home, blah, 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 and then go and go to it. Because if that fails, who's liable? I, I'm not the one, not like, not me. I can tell you that much. Okay. Moving on. We're going to talk uh, OSHA had a couple of other uh, news releases here. All right, and they, uh, okay, this one is from Department of Labor, Better Business Bureau, North Central Texas, signed an alliance partnership to help keep workers safe. U.S. OSHA's Dallas and Fort Worth area offices and the Better Business Bureau have signed an alliance to educate employers and employees on workplace hazards. The alliance partners will provide information, guidance, and training resources to construction and general industry employers to help protect and the safety and health of workers. The alliance will promote better understanding workers' rights and employers' responsibilities under the OSHA OSH Act. Sounds like an outreach course to me. OSHA announces Advisory Committee on Construction Safety Health uh, to meet March 1st. Work groups to meet on February 28th. The, oh, the uh, OSHA, OSHA will hold the meeting of the Advisory Committee on Construction Safety and Health on March 1st from 9 a.m. to 4 You can check the website, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh and the meeting will include the following remarks from the Assistant Secretary for Occupational Safety and Health, who will provide agency updates, updates from OSHA's Directorate of Construction on the construction industry, presentation by American Concrete Contractors on hard hats uh, to helmets, An update on the National Safety Standard to Prevent Falls in Construction, ACCSH Workgroup Reports, and Public Comment Periods. So you can go and check out the website for the exact location. It's in Washington, D.C. U.S. Department of Labor and Georgia contractors uh, promote safety health during the airport Hartsfield-Jackson Airport Concourse Widening Project. Again, another uh, another uh, uh, joint venture here, right? U.S. Uh, OSHA, right? U.S. DOL's OSHA has signed a strategic joint venture partnership with an East Point, Georgia construction company to promote promote worker safety and health during widening construction project of Concourse D at Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport, the nation's busiest airport. So what are they going to do? It's going to center on safety and health management systems, delivering training, and other stuff going on in there. So uh, pretty good thing. Again, education, training, they got stuff going on all over the place. EPA news. Biden-Harris administration announces... Additional $1 billion in bipartisan infrastructure law funds to start new cleanup projects and expedite ongoing cleanup work across the USA. So, if we recall, uh, since Superfund had uh, expired uh, way back in the day, right, uh, the funding at least, uh, 
Now everything's right. There used to be a separate, separate fund for Superfund. So now what they have done is, uh, 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 no, they've been cleaning things up out of the general fund. But now they're they have designated again this infrastructure bill funded a lot of stuff here. Uh, there's going to be new cleanup projects started at 22 Superfund sites and over 1,000 other ongoing cleanups across the country. Maybe I should have a section in these environmental laws, what they all are. Now, that's all part of our 40-hour Haswaffer class and eight-hour refreshers that you can attend. Give us a call, 845-269-5772, or email me at jim at safetywars.com, and we'll schedule your class or you can either even do it via zoom or other online platform so uh basically what is a super fun site it's basically a site where nobody knows who's going to pay for it or there's going to be litigation and everything else and uh money is used from the feds to clean up the site and then they go after whoever the primary prps primary responsible parties are Thousands of contaminated sites exist nationally due to hazardous waste being dumped, left out in the open, or otherwise improperly managed. Right? And I spent the first... Uh, hmm. 14 years of my career, something like that, half of my career, dealing with 1910-120 cleanup sites. Let's see. Uh... There's a whole bunch of stuff here. It's basically all spread out uh, throughout the whole country, really, these 22 sites I have right here. And then ones that are local to me are two in New Jersey, three in New Jersey, I'm sorry, and one in New York, and a couple in Pennsylvania, and any in Connecticut, nothing in Connecticut here from what I can see. And it's a really interesting history how New Jersey got its uh, reputation for hazardous waste sites. You see, there was a uh, uh, no, a couple of reasons why. Number one was the New Jersey Turnpike runs down the most, uh, uh, all these industrialized areas, especially when you get north of exit 10 or exit 11. That's New Jersey speak. That's around where the last glacier ended about 25,000 years ago at the Raritan River, central New Jersey, across from Staten Island, and through, uh, you know, uh, it melted by itself, right? Sort of thing, climate change going on for a long time. But anyway, I digress. Uh, they get, uh, so all these are heavily industrialized areas. Right at exit nine, the world famous Kinbuck landfill was right there. And there were a whole bunch in South Jersey too, but North Jersey, you drove right by a lot of these hazardous waste sites, including the uh, Bayway refinery uh, at, of around exit 13. And what they did was they built the New Jersey Turnpike right over a sewage treatment plant. So when you pass by exit 13 and you get that smell, everyone used to blame Bayway refinery. It was actually the sewage treatment plant. Did Bayway smell? Yeah. Oh, God, back in the 1970s, forget about it, right? We, uh, I remember coming home, uh, going to Bayonne, New Jersey, from Woodbridge and Carteret up to there, and, you know, oh, the smell was horrible. But it was primarily from sewer treatment plant and only a little bit from Bayway. Uh, they've done a one hell of a job in cleaning everything up. But anyway, this is what you saw going up there all these industrial sites and everything else through newark and northern new jersey the other thing is this we're going to go back to the story when superfund was passed right early 1980s and then it was reauthorized in 1986 uh, the reauthorization all of these uh funds became available other states did not go after the funds did not go after this stuff. But there was a young uh, uh, congressman who actually went out and he got all of these uh, sites on the national priorities list, the NPL list, for cleanup. 
and got funding for him because he said, look, uh, no, all from people who I know who worked with him, right? Look, all this money is going to dry up. And eventually what happened was in 1989, he decided to go and run for governor and he won. And, uh, what was his name? Governor Jim Florio. He just died last year. And so and the joke was, well, New Jersey has all these hazardous waste. NPL sites, blah, 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 blah. It, no, it's a very interesting history here of that. Uh, also, you know, New York had Love Canal and uh, all this other stuff going on. But what ended up happening was late 1990s, early 2000s, all these funding all dried up now all these other states now they got on the environmental bandwagon there was no money there and now they're struggling to do cleanups and guess what the uh superfund sites the cleanups were not are not being cleaned up as fast as they are but this infrastructure bill is going to make sure that some of those sites are cleaned up and you know they expedite some of this stuff but anyway Let's go on. We did not talk about money today. All right. So let's go. Dow Jones Industrial closed at 33,869, up slightly. S&P 500, up slightly, 44,090. NASDAQ fell slightly, 11,718. Russell 2000 is at 1918, up. U.S. Treasury note, 3.738%. Bitcoin. At uh, 2165, up slightly. Crude oil, 79.76. And let's look at Bitcoin because Jay Allen had something to say here. So, middle of January, it was down around 20,000, and I believe it was even lower than that into the uh, uh, 16s, right? Beginning of the year. And then it peaked on. Do, 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 29th at 23,791. Earlier this week, it was at 23,200. Now it's over at 21,000 and 655.97. And uh, so it's all over the place, but, you know, it's recovered from all of those scandals and everything. Uh, there. Okay, let's see here. Let's talk about gold, the precious metals. Give me, I just, give me a second here. I just closed out the webpage. Gold at 1875.50, down slightly. Silver, 22.25, down slightly. Platinum, uh, down a lot, 1964, no, down 1.3%. Palladium is down 5.8%, down to 1573. I don't know. Hopefully, they're going to stop taking the catalytic converters. Big problem here. Russia to cut oil output in response to Western sanctions, pushing up prices. Moscow plans to lower production by 5% in a rare move outside uh, of alliance with OPEC. Russia has said its plans to cut oil production by about 5% next month, making good on a threat by Russian President Vladimir Putin to retaliate against Western oil sanctions, but also showing the limits of his leverage in global energy markets. Prices jumped on the move, but pared back some of those gains later today. So uh, that, that's supposed to lead to substantially higher, uh, higher uh, prices. Now... Let me point something out. That, that, that's a good segue into some of the other stuff I wanted to talk about. So we have had an unseasonably uh, warm winter here. We've had cold spells. I mean, I keep sending Jay Allen, right? I'm out there in a survival suit uh, last couple of weeks, right? I mean, I got the whole getup, you know, I'm right I got the Antarctica uniform, right? Uh, but, you know, it's been a relatively uh, warm January. So here we have seven Northeast states saw the warmest January as the U.S. and Europe baked. 
was the sixth warmest January on record for the lowest lower 48 states and third warmest in Europe. Well, guess what? It's not as cold on average. You don't use as much home heating oil. Right? Uh, I know uh, for those of you still on home heating oil, it's, you know, you're looking at, you know, uh, for a 275-gallon tank, you're looking at, uh, you know, over a thousand dollars to fill that thing way over a thousand. Uh, so people are grateful that the prices have fallen on that stuff. So California fires, the fires won the gap between rich and for, uh, poor. So climate change and its most extreme consequences are pushing up the price of homes throughout much of the American West. It's fires and floodings carve into existing housing stock, right? So fewer houses, prices go up and restrict the amount of land suitable for future building. So it sounds like California is doing what we did in the east here after Superstorm Sandy uh, 10 years ago where whole neighborhoods disappeared. You got flooded out. Yeah, guess what? You got uh, condemned, came in there under sovereign immunity, and guess what? Whole neighborhoods getting wiped out. Uh, in Woodbridge, where I uh, grew up, Guess what? Half uh, Woodbridge proper, uh, maybe 100 homes, the whole neighborhood got wiped out, made into a park. Uh, just one of those things. I guess that's a good thing, right? Land use. New federal cash makes it more possible than ever. Almost a third of the Inflation Reduction Act's climate benefits in the coming decades stem from individual actions. So the whole thing is, right, uh, I used to have a byline on, I'm speaking extemporaneously, I'm running out of stories here. I used to have a byline on one of my old websites that was involved uh, that I used to run, uh, environmentalism without government, Right where we cannot do much of what the government's doing or these large corporations are doing, but we can act uh, by ourselves, set the examples. And I'm not taking credit for it, but that is catching on a lot. The problem here, no, there's good things and bad things about it, right? And here I'm looking at an article from the Washington Post here, uh, where the government has put in incentives for lowering carbon footprints. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a guest that I'm sure uh, when we go to Florida, uh, that is going to uh, talk about, uh, is going to talk about this stuff uh, here uh, with this. Is it going to make economic sense or anything else like that or financial sense? I'll withhold any of my thinking on that, but, what it comes down to is that people acting personally to impact their environment. I think that's going to be a huge part of what we're doing here. And again, what do we preach here? Your safety, your disaster preparation, your attitude towards the environment, all that stuff goes into everything. Uh, now that's a big part of the solution here. On the negative end, right, with all this stuff, if you are having all different financial issues, if you're from a poor, for lack of a better word, poor uh, envir- poor financial circumstance, you live in a culture where it's hard to get food, let alone uh, worry about climate change, right? The most of the world is living in what we used to call the third world. I know that's not politically correct. And uh, the third world, guess what? None of that, none of that, uh, none of those folks are going to be worried about climate change. No, unless they're worried about sea level rise and, you know, radar disasters, things of that nature. There is sustenance living here. Forget about paycheck to paycheck. These people are living meal to meal. You're going to expect that those folks and the 
right? To be worried about environmental issues. In the United States, we have a similar situation here. We have a lot of people living in poverty in the United States. They're worried about what they're going to do. That now you're going to require them all this other stuff. Something that has to be worked out and discussed in our society. I'm not going to offer any solutions, but I need to point that out. I feel the need to point that out. So uh, affluence leads to better care of the environment historically versus lack of affluence. That does not lead to the protection of the environment. Just the way it is. Uh, and what the uh, policy analysts out there, if you're trained policy analysts like I am academically, this has always been a debate. How do we get, what kind of policies do we have to promote the greatest good? And that's going to be, I think, a major thing in 2024. Let's finish this up to uh, we there was a uh, near miss at JFK, right, at JFK Airport here in New York. So American airline pilots involved in near miss at JFK received subpoenas. The NTSB subpoena pilots who flew the American Airlines uh, group incorporated plane that almost collided with another jet on a New York runway last month, the agency said. The Transportation Safety Agency said it issued the subpoenas Friday to the three crew members for American Airlines Flight 106 after they declined to conduct recorded interviews about the incident. Remember, in the United States, we still have a right for now, we still have a right to remain silent. We still have Miranda rights. Maybe I'm going into politics a little bit too much here, right? The plane used for the flight last month came close to hitting a jet operated by Delta Airlines on a runway at JFK International Airport. The agency said it tried three times to interview American Airlines pilots and wants to record the interviews and transcribe them. The recording of the event captured by the plane's cockpit voice recorder was overwritten after the flight departed from New York not long after the near collision with Delta plane. The cockpit voice recorder records two hours of audio. The transcripts of each flight crew member's account of the activities and conversation leading up to the runway incursion is particularly important in the absence of a cockpit voice recording. So, I do not do accident investigations on plane crashes, but I do know something. There are a lot of books out there on the subject that I've read. And... The important one of the things that they stress is the importance of a timeline. So even if you're not doing a uh, plane investigation, it's very important to do any type of investigation, especially a major one, a timeline. What happened from time to time? And that's what the NTSB is trying to do here. Because that timeline adds something called, come on, what's it called, everybody? You hop people context. So it's important to put things into context with all this stuff. And that's what they're trying to do. But again, what do you do? You have to have a plan in place already. If you're going to be interviewed by a regulatory agency, what's your plan? Remember, that's like talking to the police. Talk to your attorney. I'm not going to give legal advice. So that's what we have for this week for Safety Wars. This is Jim Pozel, and uh, I will see you next week with some more entertaining, hopefully you find this entertaining, safety info. Have a great weekend, and enjoy watching the Super Bowl. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.